Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. Today, we got a Q&A. If you are new to the podcast, thank you for being here. Thank you for giving us a shot. I hope you enjoy the podcast. If you get to the end of it and you love what you hear, please do us a huge favor, share it with a friend, and leave us a rating and review. And if you are a returning listener, that means you do love the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you for already giving us the opportunity to teach you amazing things about health and fitness and life and stress and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, uh, I assume you like it. So go leave us a rating and review. It would help us grow and share it with a friend so we can teach more people. Let's get into questions. Here we go. Let's get right into it, man. So we got uh, one. Our first one's coming from CK. So I'm currently on maintenance and plan to go back into a diet in January. So this periodize, I'm assuming. I have a higher step count of 16,000 or so and was wondering if you could talk again about gradually decreasing steps so that when I get into my diet, this won't be such a challenge. Will my metabolism adjust or should I expect to decrease my maintenance calories also? That's a good question. Um, how many steps do you see? 16,000. 16,000. It's hard to say because it's all relative, you know, like, so we were talking about this the other day when you, CJ and I were all in the gym, we all had our step counters out and like, <laughs> it sounds so stupid when you think about it <laughs> for bird's eye view. Look at my step counter. Um, and CJ is getting like, what do you say? Like 26,000 or something at the gym. He had 19. Yeah. And that's at 3 PM. Yeah. Right. Now he wakes up real early. He's got a crazy shift. But the point of me saying this is that at the end of the day, it's it, his step count at 20,000 is the same as mine at 10,000. Mm. Like from a, a metabolic perspective, mainly because his body is so adapted to that, right? And he's not adding in steps to hit that. That is his, that's his job. Like yeah. it's just what he does. So it's hard for me to say because, you know, is 16,000 steps, like are you like diligently setting reminders and going on walks to hit that? Or is that just like your normal daily step count? Like you don't got to do anything. You don't, you don't have to try. You just hit that naturally. Um, if that's the case, then you don't need to lower it, you know, but even to that point, if normal for you is, is 14 K and you're intentionally adding in 2000 steps a day to try to burn more calories, I would say just drop it to 14 K. Like just don't intentionally go on walks to add more calories. Definitely. You'll be fine. It's not that big of a difference, you know? Um, so it's, it really comes down to how many steps you're, you're bringing down. Now, if your normal day is 5,000 steps and you've been increasing it to try to have a higher step count and now it's at 16,000, um, that's a different story. That's a big drop. You might want to do it it's in ch chunks of increase. Two, exactly. But like it's a big drop to reduce it back down to 5,000 mm. because we're trying to accomplish maintenance, right? Going into the, uh, the diet in January. If that's the case, you might want to drop it by 2K per every few weeks. Mm. But at the same time, like, I don't believe – it's so hard to say because I think that it, it's obvious that your body is going to drop step count when we go into a deficit, which means that your knee is a big contributing factor to metabolic adaptation. So I don't want to say it's not a big deal because if you drop your step count a tremendous amount, it's going to have an impact, you know. Uh, but at the same time, you want to get it done quickly so that your body can adapt to what your maintenance is so that when you do crank it back up when it comes time to diet, that – you're the 
whatever you put it to, whether it's 16,000 again, or maybe it's only 14 or whatever it is, it creates a noticeable difference to your body and start actually losing calories yeah. or losing fat from it and burning a lot of calories. Um, so I would, I would take one day where you just do not intentionally try to increase your calories or your step count at all. See where you land. That's going to be your baseline of what you want to bring your step count back down to. And you want to kind of try to do it as, as quickly as you possibly can in order to find that maintenance and that baseline so that you have room to increase it when it comes time to go into a fat loss phase. Um, and there's nothing wrong with maintaining a higher step count either. Cause even for me, like 11,000 steps is what I'm at. And that's where I was at during my diet, but I just kept it there because it, it really wasn't like an abnormal increase or a crazy high amount for me to try to hit. And it, it was one of those things where I want to be active cause it's healthy. So if I was doing 16,000, like she said, that would be a stress on my life because I would literally have to be taking a long walk in the morning, a midday walk, a long walk at night. Like right now, I take my either morning or night, like one of the two, and I hit that because I'm pacing while I'm on calls and I'm doing stuff. So I pretty much easily hit that otherwise. Um, so it's not like a stressor to my lifestyle. That's basically what you want to accomplish. You want to have a, a as high of a step count as you possibly can while it doesn't add stress to your lifestyle or your schedule. Totally. If it's fucking with your schedule or it's a stress then it's not a lifestyle friendly number to hit. But realistically, anywhere between, I would say like eight to 15,000 steps a day is considered really healthy for cardiovascular health, like staying lean, keeping insulin sensitivity healthy and all those kind of things. So blood glucose, um, blood sugar levels. So why wouldn't you want to do it? You know, um, if we're using it as a tool on our toolbox for fat loss, though, you want to have room to adjust it. Um, but yeah, so it's hard to say. Um, I mean, what was her actual question? Just like basically just ranting on step counts now. Yeah. Uh, she really wanted to know, uh, with, will my metabolism adjust or should I decrease my maintenance calories too? It will adjust. Um, and you may have to uh, adjust your maintenance calories if the step count is abnormally higher than your normal. Because if you think about it, um, it's not your maintenance. Mm. So if you're, if you're doing a super high step count to maintain uh, 2,000 calories, let's say, well, that's not your maintenance calories if you're doing a shit ton of activity to maintain it. To me, maintenance calories is what what is your caloric intake for like a lifestyle-friendly amount of activity? You know, if that's lifting four days a week and having an 8,000-step count, that's a healthy, good range, and that's what is easy for your schedule and that you enjoy doing. You got to find your maintenance intake for that lifestyle. Otherwise, if you don't, you go into the diet and you really feel like you've been dieting this whole time. You might not have been in a deficit, but you were trying to get these steps in and you were making sure that you were doing all these little things, you're tracking your macros, you're doing all these things. So mentally you're still like engaged in the diet and the tracking and the process, which makes it more difficult to go into a diet mentally in January. That makes sense. Totally. You know? So, um, yeah, that's how I'd answer it. You're fighting the deficit mm -hmm. essentially. Yeah. Also, bro, this is the last time I'm letting Bubba in here while we record. You, you didn't, you didn't smell that? No. Oh my God. Maybe his butt is pointing towards me. Yep. It is. This guy's sleeping under the table. I was like, you know what? He can hang out in here. He's been a good boy this week until he started gassing oh, me up. Oh, dude. I haven't, I, I for, it's only been a couple of days since he hasn't been in my office, but my office smells way better, bro. <laughs> I'm sure it stinks in here for you. Not too bad, but. It's so funny. He's just been like hanging out with you. Yeah, just been eating uh, Chewing on napkins. Bone? Yeah, I know. What the fuck was that? I think he likes this rug. So, all right, let's move on to the next one. We got one from Christy Wickland. It says, do you think you will come out uh, with a unilateral-based building program? Can't wait for the new app. Been a user since day one and just keeps getting better and better. Thank you. Um, 
head over to tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash tailored-trainer if you want to check that out. Um, so, no, I won't. Um, plain and simple. And there's a reason why. And, and I think, so I, I'm going to tell you what I will do. And then I'm going to give you some teasers about the new app just because I feel like it. But I'm not going to come out with a unilateral program because there's, I believe, it wouldn't be intelligent programming. So, like, just like I don't think a program should be 100% bilateral, which for those listening is two legs. So, a squat is bilateral. A split squat is unilateral, single leg. Um, it wouldn't be smart to do a whole program bilateral because if everything was, uh, like, every press was with two hands, every row was with two hands, every curl, every lateral raise, every hip thrust, every lunge, or well, there wouldn't be lunges, every squat, every yeah. hip hinge, like a hip thrust or RDL. If everything was bilateral, you have, number one, you're not potentially fixing any imbalances because everything's bilateral, so you're going to compensate. But let's say somebody doesn't have an imbalance. You could slowly create one because you never go unilateral, which means if you have a favored side and you just keep training in a bilateral pattern, over time, you're going to compensate more and more and more. And it's a neurological pattern that accumulates. So even for me, I was talking to Bailey, um, Pam, uh, WWE client of mine this morning because she went through that uh, surgery. She broke a femur, a bunch of crazy shit. Um, a really bad injury. But um, riding one of those birds. Ouch. Fucked, yeah. So crazy surgery. She's been going through rehab. I kind of stepped back and like I was in communication with a rehab specialist, but I'm like, dude, you do your thing because I'm not there. Let me just control the diet accountability. Now she's back to 100%. We can get back into training like hard. But I was explaining to her how we have to use a lot of unilateral training still because her one side is still going to be weaker than the other. And even for me, I've had two surgeries on my knees. And when I squat, this is why I love the mirror right in front of the squat rack. When I squat, I still shift to the right, even though I have the same amount of range of motion and strength on my left side. It's because neurologically, I'm just programmed that way. Because after my first surgery, I didn't recover properly. So I tore it again. And so I compensated. But now that I've recovered properly and I've built it back up, doing it the right way over these last couple of years since my 2019 surgery, um, I still, my ner- the nervous system still wants to shift me to the right, yeah. away from that left side, even though it's stronger. So um, if I didn't have unilateral training, I would keep doing that. You know, I would keep shifting and I wouldn't realize it because I wouldn't have an opportunity to isolate just my left leg, which I need. So unilateral training is extremely important. If you just do bilateral training, we're not going to, we're going to potentially create imbalances or more compensation patterns or not fix the current ones. Um, I also believe it's a good muscle building tactic because, and joint stability. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's way harder to balance on a single leg than a two leg. So you can create more knee stability, better hip stability, stuff like that. But if we can isolate the left quad in a single leg movement with a certain amount of weight and reduce the axial loading by half, which is the loading on the spine, we're setting ourselves up for more volume with less potential risk of injury and potential fatigue, global fatigue. Because if I do a squat with 300 pounds, right? Um, two, let's say 250 pounds for, for uh, no, what's, I'm trying to think easy math. Um, that wasn't, that was not two. Yeah. 200 is better. I, 300 would have been easy too, but yeah. I'm like, I can't actually do that single leg. So <laughs> 200 pounds on my back doing a squat. Um, and I do 10 reps, whatever. That's technically a hundred pounds per leg. If I'm squatting dead center, right? Right. Uh, but that's still 200 pounds of axial loading, 200 pounds compressing on my spine. If I do a split squat for the same amount of volume, but I do it with dumbbells with 50 pound dumbbells in each hand, that's still a hundred pounds per leg technically. And I could probably do more than 50 pounds 
So we could probably get more load per quad, but it, one, it's, there's no actual loading because it's not on my spine. And number two, the load in general on joints is reduced by half because it goes from 100 or 200 pounds to 100 pounds. So really, really useful tool. But if we did an entire training program of unilateral training, one, we're going to potentially overwork the single, ladder, single leg pattern or single arm pattern, which is going to place more stress on one joint. Number two, you lose motor control of two-handed movements, which you don't want to do. And number three, we can't overload from a strength perspective as much because even though it is still 100 pounds per leg, it's still only 100 pounds versus 200 pounds. So yeah. from a nervous system perspective, doing the 200-pound lift, even though it could be potentially more risky – if you do too much of it, there's still a lot of benefit there from a strength and neural perspective. So I don't think, and this is why training is not black and white. There's no reason to do a bilateral program or a unilateral program. There's a lot of reasons to have both included. Yep. And one of my principles with my training methods or performance bodybuilding method is what I typically talk about when I think of like my training program style. Every single program, every single day of the program has at least one unilateral movement. Right. Sometimes we don't need more than that. But if it's an upper body day, I'm going to have at least one single arm row or single arm press. Every leg day, I'm going to have a split squat or a staggered RDL or a single leg hip thrust or something along those lines. Or it might even be sled pushes at the end. That's still a lot of unilateral work. So I definitely think there's value in that. Uh, but there's no point in doing a whole program for it. And if you're, if you're somebody who needs to work more unilateral, like for example, with my client Bailey who went through that surgery and she's going to start uh, getting back in the ring for TV next month which we'll go see. Um, with her, I'm not going to do a back squat as a compound lift. It's just not safe right now. We'll be doing goblet squats and box squats and stuff like that. But for a compound that I'm trying to build strength in and the one that I want to focus on progressively getting stronger in, it's going to be a barbell reversal under split squat, mm. a single leg movement. So you can use them as compound lifts. So even for somebody that's in the app that needs to do more of that but wants to do performance bodybuilding or something, change the squat for a split squat and you would be fine. You know, you can do that. Um, Oh, when would you switch the barbell to the dumbbells? Um, if you have low back issues, if you have a weak core, if you have, um, just so you, you don't have the actual or loading. Kettlebells, yeah, either, or way. either way, but just so you don't have the actual loading on your spine. Yeah. Um, or for somebody who is, uh, not strong enough. And I don't mean not strong enough as in like you're a weakling, but like maybe for your size. Cause even for women, it's like, if I program a 115 pound female barbell bench press for sets of eight, I'm just an ignorant coach. It's hard for a female of 115 pounds to barbell bench press the bar for eight reps, especially for four sets. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just stupid. Some can do it. I know many who can. I have some women who can do more than the bar, and that's great. Um, but that's on an individual basis, you know. So for me to program that on a wide scale, those people, you would do dumbbell. Yeah. You know what I mean? So um, same thing with squat. If you can't do a um, – a split squat with the bar safely, do it with dumbbells until you can, until totally. you can load up that bar. Um, however, usually women have pretty strong legs compared to their upper body. So it's usually not the case with the legs. Um, but, and then in the new app, the way the programs are going to be, so, so the new app is going to be really cool because um, it's the same tailored trainer, but it's going to look different. There's way more features. Um, and the, uh, the programs are going to be slightly different. So when you get started in the new app, so everybody who's already a member, you will get, first access. So if you're not a member, you can sign up now, start using my programs right now because the app we have is great and the programs are amazing. I just want to have the best app in the fitness like period, you know. You have the same programs? No. They're going to be slightly different. Some of them are going to be based on the current ones, but there's going to be a system to them that is way better and way more, um, in my opinion, more organized and allows people to periodize it over time easier. Um, 
because again, I think the different, the main difference is like for full transparency, I didn't create that app. I basically bought my way into using an app somebody already created, right? And as in somebody, I mean somebody who's a software developer. Yeah. And by software developer, I mean they don't program design and do training, totally. right? Which most don't. The The software designers I hired for this one don't either, but I'm with them all the time. So the difference with this one is instead of like buying my way into an app, I'm literally buying the fucking app. I yeah. own the coding. I literally hired the team to develop it from scratch. So like every little single detail of everything I want is based on like what I want and yeah. what I want the, the client to experience. So it's, it, I'm so fucking ex- as dude, as these things happen, like it's just so much, so much better. It's very tailored. Um, the, uh, we just, so the, the app, you've seen it. Like it's like the dark colors and stuff. Yep. We changed the gold. The gold's not going to be the color um, for a few reasons. One, it's just a shitty color for an app from like a marketing perspective, mm. um, but it's just not appealing to the eye. So I sent like a few colors that I, that I wanted to choose from. And I let my design guy Lee like decide. Um, and we went with, uh, it's basically, it's like super Saiyan blue. So like mm-hmm. if you watch Dragon Ball Z ever, like super Saiyans had yellow hair and then they went into like super Saiyan five or something. It would turn like blue. Yeah. But it's like this, like almost like a fluorescent, like glowing sky blue ish. Like it's really dope. And like, I literally saved a, a Goku wallpaper, put it on Canva and then fucking read the color code of what was on my thing yeah. and said it to him. And that's what we went with. I'll totally. show you a preview in a second. Yeah. It looks sick. They sent it to me yesterday. Um, but inside the app, the way the programs are going to work is basically like there's categories. So you can toggle kind of like when you're looking for clothes, you can toggle like sizes, price points, pants Filters. versus shirts. Yeah. So obviously your goal, fat loss, muscle growth, strength. Then there's, um, and it, it, I'm making it simple. Weak. So it's not going to be like functional strength power strength like it's just you either want to get fucking strong build muscle or burn fat and some of those carry over right um but some of them don't right like recomp exactly well even that or there's some programs like power builder in the current one if somebody was like i want to build strength primarily but i still care about looking good power builder is a mix of hypertrophy and strength so some of them will be on both toggles but you do that then you select female or male and it'll change them and then you select days per week three four five six and then it'll break down the programs for you um, and the, I'm categorizing them in specific methods. So like there's, I have them written down like a chart on my computer, but basically there's performance bodybuilding is a style. So this is where we're like people who want to look and feel like athletes. They care about what they look like, but they want to look like an athlete, which means a lot of the volume is catered to the muscle groups that athletes potentially like usually have a dominant look. And like, if you look at most athletes, they have big glutes, big hamstrings, big traps, a lot of times big shoulders, um, sometimes big lats, but like, it's not well balanced. Whereas bodybuilding, you have to have big pecs, big biceps, big quads. It's, it's different muscle groups. Exactly. For sure. Um, so it's more of an athletic look, but it, we're also working power development and strength and like the, the, the performance bodybuilding shit that you see me do out here, yep. like explosive stuff. Um, and then we have, uh, uh, there's a pure physique one. I want to say it's called pure physique. And this is where it's, I'm not going to settle either. So it's not like. Pure physique, you can do two days or three days or four days or five days or six days. It's like, no, if, if you want to build your physique, this is what you need. There's no less than four days a week. It's four or five or six. Like, that's it. For strength, you can do three, four, or five, but I definitely don't want you doing six. That's too much strength work. In fact, most of the time, pure strength should just be three or four days because it's so high intensity as far as load. Yeah. Doing five days a week is unnecessary. So I, I categorize it in ways that just really is truly tailored to the person and the goal itself. Um, 
and it's performance bodybuilding as a category, pure physique as a category. Um, I can't remember what I titled the strength one, but that's a category. Like there's like literal and then functional hypertrophy is a category where it's like you want to build muscle. Like that's the, the aesthetics is the only goal, but we're not talking about global gym stuff. Like we're doing, we're working out of a cross gym or something like this where I don't have all the machines, you know, so it's functional. Uh, but there's going to be four breakdown categories and then they're all going to filter into the splits. And yep. so it's just organized in such a good way. And then since I can control how long everything is, whereas before 12 weeks was my max and then we would have like phase one, phase two, I can program out as long as I want. And then the plan is to do like a monthly train with Cody program. So I'm going to upload, here's my program for the month, join me. And then you can literally train with me yep. doing what I'm doing. Um, the forum in there just got finished super dope like a thread type deal yeah, yeah super super dope so there's like um so the cool thing about this is there's a full-blown habit tracker inside the app so we can basically do the tailored life challenge inside the fucking app yeah because there's a forum where you can be accountable to it you don't have to pay anything extra it's just part of the app and when i decide we're going to do a challenge we can upload our challenge results and we can all stay up to date and i can post videos live in the totally. feed like dude it's so sick um and then of course we have a video library which will be all the educational stuff yep. Um, but man, the functions are just so fucking dope. So, um, the plan is still November launch. So black Friday, but, um, my, we'll beta test with people before then. So I'm going to handpick like five clients, um, and then we'll use it. And then, uh, after it functions well and we are like, okay, cool. It can handle us going through and we don't see any issues at that point. We'll, we'll let current members in. They'll get in early before the launch. So again, if you guys want early access, sign up now, totally. start using my programs, get used to how it runs and then level up when the new app comes out basically but it's gonna Hell be big yeah. it's gonna be big i'm excited dope all right let's uh move on to the next one we got one from a dewey three it says what's your nutrition currently looking like hey dewey i don't know why i felt like saying that oh i thought that was a reference that's what no i just i don't know why that sounds like it's from a movie or something but it's not what does my current diet look like um so my current diet is, where am I at? I'm eating 220 grams of protein, 320 grams of carbs, 300 and, uh, 340, 320 grams carbs, 345, 350 grams carbs on training days. Basically, I don't track my Carbs. My, my intra workout shake. Mm -hmm. So if I don't train, I don't have a shake. If I do train, I do have shakes. Yep. So I have a little bit more carbs on training days. Um, and I use the, uh, actually I had somebody email me this question today. So I'll just answer it here. Um, the highly branched cyclic dextrin and EAA stack from first form, firstform.com slash tailored coaching method. They're literally the only one that makes this product. So I actually do really highly, I was suggesting it before I was even with them, but they're the only ones which blows my fucking mind. Nobody creates a product that is Highly branched cyclic dextrin, so pure carb with a little bit of fructose, which we want because we want starch and fruit because we have multiple glucose transporters, and sodium and electrolytes, which we need to stay hydrated during training. Really, really important. And essential amino acids. Uh. But there is countless people I know in the industry who take those different things Separately. and mix them all up in a, like, and then you got powder all over your fucking desk and it tastes like shit. Close my mind. Anyway, um... That's what I have during my workouts. You can check that out. Link in the description. Firstform.com slash tailored coaching method. They also just came out with energy drinks. See that? Yep. I'm gonna get, have you some. haven't got any? No, I have some coming right now. Um, excited to try them. Except they're a little bit more caffeine than my Rockstars, and I'm worried because I drink too many. Yeah. You know? That's why I like Rockstars because they're lower caffeine than some uh, of the ones. 
Ideally, I would drink Red Bull because they're like the lowest in caffeine. Expensive. They're like six bucks a can yeah. for a normal size can. It's fucking stupid. <laughs> Red Bull. Um, all right. Uh, and then, okay, so that's 320 grams carbs and then uh, 45 grams fat. Super low fat. So I dropped fat and cranked up my carbs higher. Um, and I'm still bringing my carbs up slowly. I feel amazing right now, so I actually don't need any more food. But as long as I can maintain this weight, I'm going to basically, we're just going to keep like slowly but surely cranking up my carbs, you know, um, Jackson. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, slow and steady reverse diet. That's, those are my macros. My meals actually look basically exactly the same as what they were with just more food, which I think is honestly what allowed me to reverse diet so well. I think it's hard for a lot of people to do this, so I don't always recommend it. But when I finished my diet, I was eating, generally I was like at the very end, I was having eggs with a little bit of fruit in the morning, not really any starch carbs. Um, And then, but beforehand I was having carbs with like toast or oats or something. Then my second meal was always like rice and shredded chicken from the crock pot with peppers and all that shit. Then it was um, oats with protein and almond butter. Um, But the almond butter came out at the end because I had to pull calories. And then dinner was always, um, it was steak which I changed recently, but it was steak with uh, a little bit of veggies and then some like whole grain pasta with just like salt on it. And then uh, dessert was always the casein that I have, you know, casein with nut butter um, before bed. I didn't change that at all. I changed the pasta to rice because I just want to change the pace. And I changed uh, the steak to chicken and added some fats by like adding a whole egg basically or olive oil. I just added more olive oil to my diet. But everything else just increased. So I had like more carbs from toast than I did before, which I also changed out to oats because I ended up, ha- I was eating like four slices of toast for breakfast. I was like, all right, I want something different. So oats, um, I added the almond butter back in. I mean, that's it. Like I think, but it, because, yeah, and it's like, okay, we need to add more carbs. I'm going to add a banana into this meal before we work out. Then we need to add more carbs. Okay, increase the rice. That was already happening. So it, it made controlling factors way easier and fluctuations easier. And my body agrees with the food I'm eating. Um, most people can't do that because it's so robotic. You know what I mean? I'm literally doing the same diet I was doing before. But when you kind of just eat like this all the time anyway, it's easier for me because this is what I do for a living. Yeah. And I will 100% admit that publicly. Um, so I don't expect people to do that with reverse dieting. However, if you go through a reverse diet and you start adding in, like if you're like, oh, I have more calories to play with now. I'm going to add some like treats or some ice cream, whatever. The problem is, is those highly palatable foods trigger you to want more. So as soon as you get a little bit, you're like, oh, I want to keep eating these and you don't have that many calories. So a really good recommendation during the reverse, if you really do want to stay lean is to actually limit or keep out the highly palatable foods and let your body feel better from the good foods. And what I mean by that is all the physiological signals of like hunger and cravings and stress and all the diet fatigue stuff that you get from a diet, those will go away when calories increase. So it's not going to go away from you finally being able to eat Ben and Jerry's. Yeah. It goes away from you finally eating more carbs. Yeah. So instead of putting in the highly palatable foods, fix those negative biofeedback symptoms that the diet gave you from diet fatigue with the whole foods that you were already eating by increasing your calories. And then once you're like, I actually don't need those anymore. Now you're in a good place to put those in on occasion because you won't go crazy and splurge on it, you know? Um, and that's kind of what I've done. So, um, we'll be, uh, I know we'll increase more cause I'm literally, I'm just like staying at 170 pounds basically. Um, I fluctuated between 169 to 171, and I was at 165, I think, for my shoot at the end of it, 164. Five pounds? Yeah, which for the most part is like just muscle glycogen, you know, refilling muscle tissue. I feel a little bit bigger, but I I don't feel 
I don't feel as lean. I was definitely leaner, but not that much leaner. Mm. So, um, yeah. That's but noticeable. Diet. Yeah. Totally. That's the diet. Okay, cool. Let's uh, move on. We got one coming from RayPlay19. It says, what are the best supplements or foods to reduce inflammation? It depends on what we're talking about with inflammation. Like, so, number one, um, most people don't really know what inflammation is. Number two, most people mistake what they're going through with inflammation and they blame things on inflammation. My joints hurt, inflammation. My gut hurts, inflammation. I have foggy brain, inflammation. A lot of times that's not the case. <laughs> um, you're lacking sleep, you have, uh, you lack fluid in the joints. Like there's so many different things that could be causing this. Uh, but in general, there are anti-inflammatory foods and supplements. Um, so anti-inflammatory foods, um, I'm not gonna list them all out because you can just Google it. Olive oil, blueberries, ginger, garlic, onion. I mean, there's those are like heavy hitters. Yeah. Um, olive oil is like a big one. Fish, obviously fatty fish, fish oil. Um, but if you Google it, you'll see a bunch of random different things. Collagen. Just eat all those. Yeah, it, I mean, that's really what it is. It's yeah. like if you want an anti-inflammatory diet, that's what you do. But anti-inflammatory diet's bullshit. It's not like a – environmental factors play more of a role – in inflammation, Lifestyle. you know? Yeah. You eat some blueberries, you're not going to f- cure your inflammation, you know? And, and all, again, you don't even know if you actually have inflammation. Is inflammation actually the issue? Who fucking knows? Um, there's actually a, a big lack of research defining what exact inflammation is. Like mm. most people just point the finger and go, oh, you're inflamed when they just want to say something. It's just like the hormone thing. Yeah. Like, oh, you can't lose weight. Your hormones are fucked up. It's like, no, you're just not in a deficit. Um, supplements, uh, turmeric, curcumin, which are herbs, but yeah fish oil um a good if you're really like trying to focus on it depends what kind of inflammation you're focused on that's a hard part so if i was going to recommend supplements like if it's gut inflammation it, it might not actually be gut inflammation but if that's what you're like quote unquote thinking um you probably have a stressed digestive system you might have some um difficulties digesting certain foods you might have some bloating and you're calling that inflammation you're just bloated but the problem with bloating is there's no food or supplements that's going to fix that necessarily you could get a probiotic if it's a specific bacteria that needs to be fixed or replaced in your gut um you could maybe supplement with some kind of digestive enzymes and things like that if you are having a hard time breaking down protein fats or carbs or multiple um but the problem is, is there's other things going on a lot of times. Like, for example, if you struggle with digesting fats and that's causing your bloating, you might have a gallbladder issue because your gallbladder is in charge of a lot of the digestive properties of fats in the diet. And if that's the case, you're not going to take a pill and it fix it. You've got to fix other things in your diet and potentially lower your fat intake because you might have a dysfunction with your gallbladder that's not curable necessarily. Um, if it is something like bloating, it could be certain foods you're eating, not a supplement. Like you can maybe take some like a uh, supplement that helps clear you out a bit, improve digestion. If you're constipated or something like that, that's really just lack of fiber and potentially lack of water or lack of one without the other. Um, because if you have too much fiber, not enough water, can't do its job. You have too much water, not fiber. It's going to be loose. So um, there's a lot here, but usually it's not like a one pill fix thing. It's usually like you need to fix your diet. Yeah. Like if you're eating a ton of shit food and you're bloated all the time, you think you have inflammation issues. No, you're eating shit food and you're bloated might be causing that which yeah. might be causing that yeah and there's plenty of times where i wake up sundays and i'm like fuck i am bloated i'm not like god damn i'm suffering with inflammation i'm like i ate like an asshole last night and i drank six beers i loved it <laughs> like i'm just i'm paying for that right yeah. now and honestly it's worth it like for most people do it just don't do it all the fucking time totally if it's every day it's an issue <laughs> um that doesn't mean that some people don't have 
inflammation. It doesn't mean that some people don't have serious gut issues. It just means most people, it's it's easier fixed than you think. It's curable in other ways. Yeah. Totally. Um, the uh, but like I said, if you do need a probiotic because maybe your your gut bacteria, your your microbiome is missing something, or if you need some different enzymes to help you break down foods that you're not breaking down, like normal foods, like you're eating super clean, you're still not breaking down. Um, First form has quite a few. Those are the ones I'd recommend, and those are the ones I do recommend to clients. Um, they have two different like enzyme based digestive products. Ones with like glutamine and stuff, which is really good. I take glutamine every single day with my green drink, just powdered glutamine. Um, Glutamine is an amino acid. Uh, you, people usually think it's for muscle growth because that's what it used to be. People think amino acids think muscle growth, and that's what it used to be like touted about. Um, but a lot of research came out and showed that it doesn't help muscle growth really at all. Um, I, I believe the only way it really helps muscle growth is if you are like um, like a burn victim or you have traumatic issue, like muscle atrophy like crazy. For normal people, it's not going to do shit, but it is extremely helpful for your gut health. So I take it every day um, just as like a protective thing. Like I don't have gut issues, but might as well keep everything healthy. Um, a greens drink, obviously, if you're not having any vegetables in your diet. Um, they also have a great probiotic. And then if we're talking joint inflammation or brain inflammation, people usually say inflammation with their brain if they're like foggy, they don't have clarity. Most of the time, that's a lack of sleep and just a shitty diet. If you just eat clean or drink plenty of water and sleep better, I can almost guarantee that's going to clear up. If you want to take a further step and take like some nootropics or something, um, I take their Master Brain AM Who's every there? single morning. What? Who's theirs? First form. Oh, okay. I talk about. Um, people I'm allowed to talk about. <laughs> um, uh, Master Brain is like they have an AM and a PM. I haven't taken the PM. But the AM is, uh, it's just a nootropic. Yep. Rhodiola and some different alpha GPC, things like that, that help with productivity and clarity. Um, and then uh, I, I also take mobility, which is the joint inflammation. So if you feel like you have joint inflammation, again, it might not be inflammation, but if you want some help with uh, joint recovery, maybe some curcumin and things like that, that do help with inflammation in the joints and or um, rebuilding like collagen and tendons and tissues, um, even just helping with fluid inside the joint, um, mobility and fish oil. Those are the two that I would recommend. Uh, mobility is that what they call it, but it's just a complex. Yep. Like there's a bunch of things in it. Um, so yeah, totally. Cool. All right, let's uh, move on to the next one. Is from Carrie F. Baby. Uh, meal timing importance. I lift around three p.m. and I am up at four a.m. How should I time my meals when I am in a deficit? She's asked many questions and I've never thought of this. But is that a, like a playoff of Wheezy F. Baby? Per, per, I've never thought about that until you just said that. Yeah, because that's the way I said it. Yeah. yeah. I'm let, guessing Let us no. know, Carrie. Yeah. You ask a lot of, I don't know about on here, but she asks a lot of questions on Instagram. Yeah. So I've talked to her many times. I've never asked. Is it Carrie fucking baby? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, Lil Wayne's going bald, for those who didn't know. I told uh, Travis about this yesterday. It's pretty wild. I went home and I was like, Shannon, have you seen Lil Wayne? That was like the first thing I said to her. She's like, Cody, I don't care. I was like, he's going bald. She's like, I don't want to see it. I was like, you have to look at this. She's like, I already saw it. Drake posted it. I was like, oh, damn it. She did see it. I was blown away. I was like, bro, you're so rich. Get it. Like, what is it called? Uh, Just Men. Ben Gay? No, Ben Gay is like Icy Hot. Yeah. <laughs> Just Men is a color. Uh, it's Bosch? Yeah, it's uh it starts with a B. I think it's Bosch. Oh, yeah. Similar to that. Bosch hair? Something like that, yeah. And it's like hair. I don't know if it works. Men's hair implants. But they have hair implants now that do work. Bosley. Bosley. Yeah. I mean, LeBron didn't use Bosley. He used like... Probably hair implants. I would hope. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Craig Valentine did. He talks about it. He's like, yeah, 
was insecure about my hairline. I just fucking put implants in. Boom, he's got a full hair to hair. Yeah. Looks great. And they take your real hair. Yeah. Oh, wow. I did like the back of your head where you have plenty and you're going to regrow it and they it, implant it and it fucking just keeps going. Wow. It's sick. I'd do it. Yeah. I'd probably just go cue ball. But then the issue is if you got a weird shaped head and you didn't know, you shave your head and you're like, oh, fuck. Well, then you just let it grow and then. Yeah, but it might not grow back the same. If you go bald? Yeah. If you shave it all off, I'd be worried that it wouldn't come back full. Gotcha. Thick. Yeah. You know, but anyway. Not going to test it. Um, Carrie, your meal timing strategy. You wake up at 4 a.m. and you lift at 3. So my first recommendation, if possible, obviously, if you, if you can't do this because you have a job and a life, I understand that people's lives don't revolve around fitness, but I would work out earlier in the day. 3 p.m. is a great time to lift, but that is assuming you wake up at a normal time. If you're up at 4 a.m., you're starting to push it. I mean, I wake up, I wake up at like 5.30, someday 6, and I'll lift at 3, and that's a good, good time for me. But the problem is, is if you lift at 3 or 4 p.m., let's say, and you freaking amp your nervous system up and you're wired, and then you try to wind down a few hours later because you got to get up at 4 for work, yeah. that's an issue. Yep. Um, and even with me, I wake up at 5.30, but truthfully, like if I, hit, if I see the alarm at 5.30 and I know my body's fucked right now, I just – Turn it off, and I have a second alarm that goes off at 6.30. Yep. Like, I know when I need more sleep. Most people can't do that. Um, the meal timing, though, it's – and that's another thing. It's harder. The, the earlier you wake up, the harder it gets because then you're just up for more hours, totally. you know? Um, I don't th- – so, like, here's the run, and this is actually really easy. So, uh, the, the main components are this. Like, meal timing matters, but it doesn't matter that much, which means that if you're brand new to lifting and or you have a lot of weight to lose – it is so minuscule compared to daily caloric and macronutrient intake that it is not even worth worrying about unless it allows you to better adhere to the macros and calories. And what I mean by that is that if you hit your calories and macros, you are going to have enough stored glycogen and enough total calories and enough protein to perform, train hard, and recover no matter what. Whether you ate five hours ago or two hours ago, you're fine because you're totally filled up with muscle collection. Until you get to a point where you're in a severe deficit or you're extremely lean, then it begins to matter. So she said she's in a deficit, so it begins to matter a little bit more, especially as you get into the deficit. So if somebody had 30 pounds to lose and they just started deficit, it doesn't really matter. But six weeks into the diet, it definitely matters because you're starting to run out of reserves of like glycogen and stored liver, glycogen, things like that, right? Energy. Um, But... The only other time I would say is sometimes it's helpful for people who are brand new or at that beginning stage anyway, because if they try to plan out nutrient timing, it gives them a plan and that plan is what keeps them consistent and adherent to the total daily intake itself. So although calories overall are more important, if you don't have a plan that allows you to easily hit those calories on a regular basis, you're not fulfilling the most important part of the plan, right? Um, So... The, the rules of nutrient timing are pretty simple, though. Um, if we're looking at maintaining and or building muscle, so in your case, maintaining since you're in a cut, because um, that's all that matters is performance. Um, I would say performance, muscle growth or maintenance or um, potentially stress management and maybe digestion, basically anything but fat loss. And the reason I say that is because you can have two meals or three meals or six meals. It does not change your metabolic rate and it does not change the results of fat loss that purely comes down to daily caloric intake. So the only reason nutrient timing matters for those is again, if it helps you adhere, um, and maybe as a trickle effect from being better managing, managing your stress, better your digestion, whatever it is. Um, if we're talking about improving your digestion, it's all individual. 
Some people do better with more meals. Some people do better with less meals um, because a component of digestion, in my opinion, is also satiety. So if you do better, like if you do fine digesting big meals and you feel more satiated by eating three large meals per day, that is the way to go for you. If you feel more bloated and have more digestive stress by having three very large meals um, and your satiety is fine by having four, five, or six smaller meals throughout the day, that is the best route for you to go because it's going to be easier on your digestion. Um if you're talking about stress management, we're more talking about when we want to lower cortisol. So post-workout and before bed, basically in the evening, we want cortisol to be lower, which means that having carbs in those time periods is probably important because number one, post-workout cortisol is high. Number two, even if you don't train in the evening, it's still an advantageous to bring cortisol down a little bit at, at night, but that's really only applicable for somebody who has dysfunctional cortisol curve um, or somebody who's training in the evening because that jacks your cortisol back up. So stress management. For muscle growth and performance, it's basically the same thing. We want three to five servings or boluses of protein per day because research shows that that's the best way to optimize muscle protein synthesis and um, lower muscle protein breakdown. So muscle protein breakdown being the, uh, the, the pathway essentially of your body breaking down muscle tissue and amino acids that are in your bloodstream that will build more muscle or already have built muscle that's on your body, breaking it down for energy. You don't want to burn your muscle tissue for energy. You want to burn carbs and fat. Um, so if we're going to optimize that to avoid breaking down muscle tissue and increase muscle protein synthesis to increase muscle growth or the maintenance of muscle tissue, we got to eat protein every three to five hours, which boils down to every three to five or eating three to five meals is like the sweet spot. Six isn't better than five. Five isn't better than six, but four to five, four and five are both better than three. So like perfect world, if we like get really nitty gritty with a 24 hour day and all that stuff, five meals is probably the sweet spot for protein servings. Um, but for most people that could literally, I have clients that it's like they have three big meals and they have two protein shakes a day because they care about that optimized protein, but they really don't want to sit down and have a full meal. Cool. Slam a shake yep. in between this meal and this meal or like post-workout and then eat your post-workout meal three hours later, you know? Um, and that's really it. And then obviously for performance, uh, so there was some research that showed carbohydrates pre-workout. So for the longest time, everybody says like, you gotta have carbs before you work out, which in theory makes sense. Carbohydrates are energy. It's gonna store as muscle glycogen, raise blood glucose, raise insulin, which has some growth factors in it. That's gonna promote better training. Then some research came out that showed actually, unless you were already having carbs before you work out, it doesn't benefit you. Meaning if you're used to it, then mentally, kind of like a placebo, you, you feel like you need that. And then when we take it away, it's different to you. You're not used to it so that you feel like you have a shittier training session and then your results suffer. But for somebody who's completely neutral, it didn't matter. Uh, for somebody who didn't like eating before, they were better off not. And somebody who did, they were better off doing so. But then they did a meta-analysis recently that looked at pre and intra-carbs and they did it over a huge amount of studies. So it kind of took away these like random average averages or these random case-by-case -case studies. Yeah. Um, and in general, it shows that for higher volume training, it does matter. And I think that's important because most of the time when we look, people look at research, they'll do like a leg extension for eight sets. It's like, okay, that's a lot of sets of leg extension, but I'm doing 20 sets in a workout. I'm not training for 20 minutes. I'm training for an hour, hour and a half. Most people are. And that means that that is a higher volume training program. So they do show that carbohydrates do help higher volume bodybuilding programs. Um, the leaner you are, the more important it is. And there's also... There's no study talking about this, but there's plenty of research on the fact that carbohydrates are the primary uh, driver 
uh, and regulator of ATP. And ATP is the main anaerobic fuel source that like sparks energy for explosive and powerful movements for strength training. So to say that you don't need carbs pre-workout, my opinion is, is false. Um, but, um, it, it, it's not like a crazy math equation. You're already going to have your protein pre-workout because you have protein three to five times a day. You just got to have a good amount of carbs before and probably a little bit of fats. The fats slow the digestion down. So you don't want to have too much. Um, and the closer you are to your workout, the lower the fiber and the fat count should be. The further away, the higher the fiber and the fat count can be. So I usually eat three hours before my workout because I don't like eating right before. So I have oats, which are high fiber. I have a good amount of nut butter, which is fats, and I have some fruit. So I have a, a meal that is actually pretty slow digesting. Whereas if I was going to work out an hour before my workout, my, I would have like rice cakes or white rice because it's just pure starch, no fat, super easy to digest. And then I would put some protein and maybe a little bit of fat just so I don't go hypoglycemic, which is where your blood sugar drops and you're like shaky, which does happen. Totally. Um, but that's kind of like, honestly, that's, that's nutrient timing in a nutshell. Yeah. So funny. Cause I started by saying it doesn't really matter. And then I listed out all these things, but, um, but again, if your daily calories are controlled from 75% people, that's all that matters. Um, if you're, you know, I would say 75% of people, that's all that matters. Um, 20% of the, the people above that, it's just like a 1% to 5% difference. So you might get a little edge, and I do think it's worth it, and I still would implement it. And then there's like the 5% of people who are lean enough and athletic enough and high advanced enough where it really does matter, yeah. and I think it'll make a big difference. So it depends. It depends. Yeah. <laughs> it, it depends a lot. Depends. Um, Cool. Yeah, I wasn't planning on going hard on that question, but that was a good one. Um, so, everybody, you know where to go to find more free content. TaylorCoachMethod.com slash guides if you want to download some free full-length ebooks. Um, TaylorCoachMethod.com slash blog for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of articles slash videos or YouTube.com slash Cody room one almost forgot my own url um and of course you're here listening to the podcast so if you want direct tailored coaching tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash online dash coaching and we can help you specifically with your training and nutrition to reach your goals as always guys we appreciate you for listening we'll catch you next time